You're listening to podcast audio from Radiant Church, located in Bay City, Michigan. For more information on Radiant Church, you can check us out on www.radiantbc.com or follow us on social media at Radiant Bay City. Good morning, Radiant Church. How are you guys all doing today? Well, so good to be with all of you. My name is Adam, in case you're maybe newer with us. Um, I was one of the worship leaders here. I was the main worship director here for a number of years, and uh, I've kind of stepped back into a volunteer role, but I do travel from time to time with a network called Worship Support, and so sometimes I'm on the road fulfilling some duties as needed, and um, so I've gotten this unique opportunity to see like the body of Christ outside of these four walls. And uh, let me encourage you that some cool things are happening um, in Bay City, but beyond Bay City as well. One of the things I always love is that in every church I go to, there's a Bill Bader at the door. You know, greeting greeting you and saying, good morning. Uh, There's there's someone serving coffee. And uh, so it's good to see the body of Christ in other areas. But man, it's good to be here. It's good to be here, and I just have to give a shout out to Pastor Marco. Thanks for having me up here. This is not handed out freely. It's not like a, you know, let's just find whoever can can speak to be up here. Uh, Pastor Marco doesn't take it lightly, and so it's an honor to be up here. Thank you for allowing me to have the platform this morning. And by the way, happy birthday yesterday. <laughs> he looks he looks pretty good for 28. That joke never gets old. (laughs) Well, it's good to be up here uh, continuing our series in the book of Revelation. We are in week number five. And man, when you read these letters to the church, it preaches. It preaches. And we've had some amazing messages. Um, Jesus is speaking to the Apostle John, to the churches. He's speaking to places like Ephesus, Thyatira. We've heard uh, from four letters so far. And the cool thing about these letters is that they're not only to places, but they're to churches. And not only to churches, but they are to the church. Everyone say the church. They're to the church both back then and today. And so this message, even though it was to the church in Sardis, it is also to us today in 2022. And so I'm going to pray And then we'll get into some scripture. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for allowing me to be up here. And I'm just going to keep this short, Lord. I pray that the Holy Spirit would just speak to someone today. I pray that those words in John, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, I pray that that would happen today. Let us hear your words. In Christ's name, amen. Well, I have to be honest with you. I had 11 pages of notes, and I'm a teacher by trade. That's what I do. And so I like to prepare a lesson. Usually I like to be engaging, play a game or something. I like to... uh, Include maybe some a little bit of history, something to get you engaged in the message. 
But I got to be honest, last night I was looking through the message and I deleted most of it. And I'm going to tell you why. And this, this is, I'm telling you, this is, uh, I don't want to say crazy because the Holy Spirit isn't crazy, but this is, this is interesting. I'll, I'll put it at that. The second song we, t- we sang today is called Make Room. I had no idea they were going to sing that. I had no idea. The bridge in that song, what does it say? Break down the walls of my dead religion. Your way is better. And this is what I was tempted to do. I had 11 pages prepared for you of a nice, engaging message so that you would like it, enjoy it, and think that I was great. But see, I'm not going to do that to you today because the Holy Spirit's way is better. And I'm going to tell you, from my travels as a worship leader, here's what I've learned about the American church. It is easy to perform. It is so easy to wear the Nikes, have the glasses, and be the guy with the tightest jeans. I joke. But here's what I've found, and this has pained my heart. This is what the Holy Spirit laid on me last night. You have become good at performing. Ouch. You have become good at performing. Because it's so easy in this culture. But we need something better. You see... Performance is kind of like drinking soda, right? If I gave all of you a can of, of Coke or whatever, Diet Coke, you would love it. You'd drink it. Some of you would take a second one, a third one. But how many of you know that after a couple times, you'd get tired of it? And what you would need is water. You see, performance is like a soda, But the Holy Spirit is the living water. We need the living water. We do not need performers anymore. I am thankful for this church, for Pastor Marco, for the others that share this platform, that speak with conviction. They speak being led by the Holy Spirit. One of the pieces of advice Pastor Marco gave me, uh, the first time I ever preached, he said, preach your convictions. And I kind of chewed on that for, I chewed on it. What does that mean? What does that mean? What he was saying is be led by the Holy Spirit. We can prepare all we want, but you guys do not need me to perform for you today. You need to hear from God. I'm not saying every word I say up here is perfect, but what I'm saying is make room for him to speak to you today. So I'm being a little bit vulnerable up here. I'm, I'm saying that hit me last night. Now let's look at some scripture. Let's apply this. You ready? This is going to hurt. Revelation 3, 1 through 6. To the angel of the church in Sardis write. 
These are the words of the one who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation for being alive, yet you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains, which was about to die, for I have found your deeds incomplete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. For if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know the hour when I come to you. But if but you do have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and because they are worthy, they will walk with me in white. Like them, he who overcomes will be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So as I'm, I'm, I'm listening to God and, and thinking, what do you want me to say today? What, what can I observe from this passage this is what I heard. This is what I, that, that jumped off the page to me as I thought about my own life. I've thought about how easy it is to perform up here. I've thought about how I've hung my coat on the hanger of a good reputation for too long. This is what I observed, point number one. A good reputation is no substitute for true spiritual character. A good reputation is no substitute for true spiritual character. Well, what, am I, what do I mean by that? Well, in order to understand this, let's back up. Let's go back to Revelation 3, verse 1. Jesus says, To the angel in the church of the church of Sardis, write. Now, let's think about what Sardis may have been like. Sardis was a city that was in between sort of Mesopotamia, Babylon in the east, and um, Greece in the west. Okay, it sat on the Asia Minor. And basically because of its location, it was, an, it was a wealthy city. Because people had to pass through there, and trading happened there all the time. In fact, some historians say that the first coins ever were minted in Sardis. So... The culture in Sardis, they were a people that loved money, and they had a lot of money. The second thing that uh, Bible commentators say about Sardis is that it was a pleasure-loving culture. And the reason why it was that way is because they had a temple there devoted to a goddess, and guess how they worshipped this goddess? All kinds of sexual immorality and debauchery. They loved money. They love pleasure. They have lots of money, and they have lots of time for pleasure. Does it sound like any place that we have heard of? We are a pleasure-loving society, aren't we? In fact, I was at Cedar Point two days ago, and you can now buy your way to the front of the line. Forget that two-hour wait for the raptor. I'm not doing it anymore. You can buy your way to the front. You can buy a wristband where you can drink a, a pop every 15 minutes. Give me a Coke. Give me a Sprite. Give me a... You can buy another wristband on the opposite arm where you can eat every hour. 
We know a thing or two about pleasure, don't we? You see, sometimes there's this tension with us in the American church because we're like this raft that's floating on a lake, okay? We are the raft. Everyone say, I am the raft. Okay, I'm the raft, and I'm kind of floating. And you know, rafts, they always kind of leak water, don't they? It's kind of annoying. And the lake is like the culture around us. And here's what's happening. We're floating, water seeping in. We're trying to get the water out. We're trying to get the water out. And here's what happens. If you don't do anything about it, what happens? The water eventually overtakes the raft. And now you don't see any kind of raft. All you see is an open lake. And that's what begins to happen when we allow the culture to seep in and we begin to become so much like the culture. And that's what happens in Sardis. The culture of the church in Sardis reflects the city. It reflects a a money-hungry, money-loving, pleasure-loving people. Now, it's not your fault that you have 50 options for lunch today, right? It's not your fault. You live in America. You live in Bay City. Most of you in here probably have money to go out and get lunch. It's not your fault. You live in this culture, right? But if you allow it to seep in and overtake you, eventually you're going to sink. Eventually you're going to sink. You're going to become just like that lake. A good reputation is no substitute for true spiritual character. Now, a good reputation is okay to have, all right? If you're a Christian, I I hope that you do some loving things. If not, then you need to talk to your pastor, all right? But here's the thing. Sometimes we can rest simply on a good reputation. A good reputation is who you pretend to be, A true spiritual character is who you choose to be. Think about that for a moment. A good reputation is who you pretend to be. But true spiritual character is who you choose to be. How many of you know you cannot, you can only pretend to follow Christ for so long? You can only pretend to follow Jesus for so long. And then eventually what Jesus is going to do is just like the rich young ruler. You're going to stand before him and say, hey, I'm a worship leader. They asked me to preach. I did all these things. I'm a tither. I do this and that. He's going to say, but one thing you lack. Sell all your possessions and give to the poor. Then come follow me. And that's the thing about Jesus. He always, every time we want to stand up in front of him, and spout off our reputation, he always calls it out. He always calls it out. Because a good reputation is no substitute for a true spiritual character. Now, let's get a little more information into Sardis, okay? We're going to go back. Revelation 3.1. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of the one who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Okay, the number seven represents completeness. And what Jesus is basically saying here is, I have all authority, and I know both what a church does and what a church is. I know what a person does 
in what a person is. Seven, the number of spiritual completeness. I know your deeds. You have a reputation for being alive, yet you are dead. If you think about Sardis, and I want you to put that picture up there, let's take a look at the ancient ruins. You see, Sardis was built just like this on a cliff. What's unique about this? Well, here's what's unique. This city was considered to be unpenetrable. It was, these walls were considered to be unscalable. So the people in Sardis became lax. They thought, there's no way anyone can ever overtake us. So what happens? We get to the 6th century BCE, and Cyrus II is the Persian emperor at the time. He marches the Persian army to the gates of Sardis. They get there. They look up. Ah, dang. Yeah, we can't scale these walls. In fact, Cyrus gives uh, a challenge to his army, and he says, any man that can figure out how to get us over those walls, up the cliffs, I will make him extremely wealthy. So a good Persian soldier camps out, kind of watches every single... He's looking, he's looking. Days go by, days go by. Time keeps happening. And then eventually, a Sardinian soldier, it took one, let his guard down. He's out there one day standing near the walls. His helmet blows off down the trail. The Persian soldier watches as the Sardinian goes down a secret path, easily makes it down, puts the helmet on, easily makes it back up. And by nightfall, the Persians had captured the city without a fight because they had become lax. You have a combination of a pleasure-loving culture, a money-loving culture, who was slothful and lackadaisical. Does it sound like anybody we might know? Why? Because they had, they had no need to worry. They were protected. The natural barriers protected them. And eventually it overtook them. Point number two. Inoffensive Christianity is a danger to the church. Listen to this quote. This comes from Winston Churchill. He said this, It is not an easy military operation to invade an island like Great Britain. Without the command of the sea, without the command of the air, and then what will be waiting for the invader here? But I must drop a word of caution for next to cowardice and treachery, overconfidence, leading to a neglect or slothfulness is the worst of war crimes. This is interesting because Churchill is leading the nation of Great Britain during World War II. This is 1941. And at this moment in history, Hitler has invaded France and defeated the French and he's about to invade England. And Churchill is telling them he's going to come again and again and again. And it's, what's interesting about this speech is Churchill doesn't talk about the danger of the bombs falling. He doesn't talk about the, the, 
the terrible things that are going to happen um, with the tanks that the Nazis have. He doesn't talk about any of that. He talks about the overconfidence of the British people, letting down their guard, becoming inoffensive, becoming inoffensive. I was a basketball star in high school. That's a lie. I was, uh, <laughs> I was on the team, and uh, we had an interesting year. Junior year, we made it to the playoffs. Um, we were expected to go far, but we lost in the regional semifinals. And so there were three seniors on that team, and we all were kind of sad about it, but we, we figured, hey, next year there's 10 of us coming back. We're going to go just as far. So we come back a year later, and we're all kind of strolling into practice like hot shots. We proceed to shoot layups, shoot free throws, etc. And then coach came in. He told us to put the basketballs down. And then he said, put the basketballs away. We're not even going to use the basketballs today. And this is what he said. We could practically roll the basketballs out before every game and you guys would win. Every single game. But that's not what we're going to do. So he ordered us to stand up, and we began to run, sprints. And we ran and ran and ran. In fact, they had us run up and down the bleachers. Have you ever been in sports and you've done that? It's terrible. And I, I remember that day vividly, and I remember thinking, what is the point of this? This is, we're like shell-shocked. But see, our coach knew this. He knew that we did not need help with shooting, passing, defense. We needed help with our overconfidence. Sometimes we don't like to hear this, do we? We don't like to hear this. You walk out of here with conviction. Ah, I don't like that. I, I, I'm, I think I'm a pretty good person. I have a pretty good reputation. How dare the pastor say this? How dare he preach on that topic? Are you overconfident? Overconfidence and inoffensive behavior can be dangerous to the church, just like it was to the people of Sardis. So Jesus knows this. He, he calls it right out. He says, I know your deeds. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. You are dead. Point number three. The greatest danger that we can face as Christians can be to claim to know Christ but not really be known by him. What do I mean by that? I like what Charles Spurgeon says. He says this, if you are merely a professor but not a possessor of the faith that is in Christ Jesus, the following lines are true, are a true sketch of your end. You are a respectable attendee at a place of worship. You go because others go, not because your heart's right with God. This is your beginning. I suppose that for the next 20 or 30 years, you will be spared to continue in this way, professing religion by an outward attendance upon the means of grace, but having no heart in the matter. 
What Spurgeon knew and what he had seen as a pastor is performance. You can be a professor but not be a possessor of the faith. What do I mean by that? What do I mean by that? Well, Jesus himself talks about it in Matthew 15, 8. This is what he says. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Paul prophesies about this type of church in 2 Timothy 3, 4. These people will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That's what it means to be a professor. And as I got thinking about this, I thought, oh my goodness, am I, a pro- am I just a professor? Do I, when I, uh, when I volunteer, am I volunteering or am I just, or am I serving? See, there's a difference. When I just show up to volunteer and I, and I feel good about myself, and I make it all about me, then I'm just volunteering. I'm a professor, but not a possessor. But when I show up as a servant and I say, you know what, I'm here, I'm open, I'm ready, then I'm a possessor. There's something else that is Lord of my life besides myself. It's Jesus. If I give a little bit, but I'm not really generous, I might be a professor. If I love the things of church, I love the, the music, I love the, the amazing messages, I've got my favorite podcasts, I've got my Instagram posts about how I'm, I'm doing this and that, but I have no real prayer life, I have no hunger for the word of God, my life looks completely different at work and at home, then I'm a professor. I'm simply a professor of the faith, but not a possessor. So what's the danger here? Well, let me tell you. It is possible, as Spurgeon said, that one can go 20 or 30, perhaps a lifetime of years, simply playing the part. And here's the thing. I'm not here to... I'm not here to beat down on you. Here's what I'm saying. How dangerous and scary would it be to stand before Jesus and say, Lord, Lord, for him to say, I don't know you. That's the conviction I feel. Because in our culture, in the context that we're in, with the social media age and in the age of technology, it has become literally easy to stand up here and perform. But performance doesn't get you into heaven. Performance doesn't make you known by Jesus himself. Performance does not get you confessed by Jesus to his Father and the angels. So, are you a professor? Well, what is then a possessor of the inheritance in Christ? Listen to Romans 8, 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. That's the assurance you can have. If we are children, then we are heirs. Say heirs. 
We are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. See, we can be known by Jesus. We can share in his inheritance. But there's a danger. We can fool ourselves. We can claim to be a Christian, but not know Jesus at all. So here's the good news. Jesus is such a good teacher. He's a wise counselor. He always gives us a way. He always gives us a way. This is what he says to this church. Uh, Revelation 3, verse 2. Wake up and strengthen what remains, which was about to die. For I have found your deeds incomplete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. For if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief. You will not know the hour I come upon you. So Jesus gives us these instructions. And we're going to wrap it up on this. I want you to focus on this for a moment. Jesus says this. I have found your deeds absent. No, he says, I have found your deeds incomplete. So what do I need to do? Jesus' instructions, number one, wake up. What does that mean? It means to be convicted. Okay, you feel the conviction in your heart? Do you feel something? Do you, do you feel the conviction? You're feeling it? Ah, well, this might be me. This might be me. There might be an area of my life that, that I'm just faking it. I'm, I'm, I'm just a professor. I'm not a, I'm not a possessor of the inheritance that Jesus has for me. The first instruction is to get convicted to wake up. Number two, remember what you've received and heard. Question, are you in church today? Are you in church today? Have you heard the word of God? Have you received the word of God? Okay, if you're a Christ follower, then you believe the word of God. Remember what you've received and heard. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 2.13. And we thank God continually. Because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it. Not as human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. Remember what you've received and heard. How many of you have ever, ever had a, a parent or a coach or a boss tell you to wake up? It's not, it's not a pleasant experience, right? They maybe, maybe they yelled at you. Okay, wake up. Wake up. Some of you, you may have even been offended by it. Got yelled at to wake up. But that is the first step. You must become aware of your spiritual condition. You must become aware of your spiritual condition. And then, remember what you've received and heard. And then finally, Number three, Jesus doesn't just leave it there. Jesus doesn't just place a burden on you and leave you hanging. 
Jesus doesn't just yell at you and tell you you stink and this and that. Jesus says, remember the reward. Remember the reward. Listen to this, verse 4, Revelation 3, 4. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments. And because they are worthy, they will walk with me in white. There's the reward, victory. Like them, he who overcomes will be dressed in white. It doesn't mean that you have to live a perfect life now. It means that in your inheritance, which is heaven, you will be dressed in white. That Jesus has covered your sin and given you a new robe and a new name. And the reward continues. I will never blot out his name from the book of life. I will never blot out his name from the book of life. What does it say in the final judgment? The judges were seated, the books were opened. And anyone whose name wasn't found in the book was thrown into the lake of fire. So Jesus gives us this amazing promise. I will never blot out your name from this book. But I will confess his name before my father and his angels. Can you imagine that? Standing there and Jesus confesses who you are in front of the great assembly and you're welcomed into his inheritance. What a gift. What a reward. But I cannot tell you the reward without the consequence. You see, anyone whose name wasn't found in the book, even some of them said to Jesus, Lord, wait, what about me? I, didn't, I, didn't I stand up at church and preach? Didn't I lead worship? Didn't I? Didn't I? Didn't I? And he'll say, I never knew you away from me. But it doesn't have to end there, friends. Because the final reward is to not just know who Jesus is, but it's to be known by him. It's to be known by him and confessed by him. So listen, as we end today, I know there may be a couple camps of people in this room or watching online. So I'm gonna address those who are unbelievers. Those of you that have said, uh, I, I'm not sure I believe this Jesus thing. I just, I got asked to come to church today or I'm just tuning in online. I, I don't really know what this is about. In fact, in fact, I'm angry at the church. I'm like, I don't want anything to do with it because what I've seen for far too long is I've seen people that are just professors, but their actions prove otherwise. And that makes me angry. And I don't want anything to do with the church. I don't want anything to do with Jesus. I would say this to you. John 1, 11, 13. Let's look at this. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, 
He gave the right to become children of God. Today, if you don't know Jesus, he gives you the right to become children of God. Today. He gives you the right to have your name written in the book of life. That you might share in his inheritance. That he might confess you before his father. It's a gift. You can't earn it. But you can receive it. So if that's you today, his instructions, get convicted, wake up, remember what you've received today and heard and follow it. And I don't mean just like following it uh, by your mouth, by, by saying I follow it. No, to follow it means I'm going to leave my sin here and I'm going to walk away from the sin that I've been following for so long and I'm going to walk a different way. I'm going to follow Jesus. That's what it means. That's what it means. Because if you don't, if you, if you say I follow, yeah, Jesus, you're Lord. I, I love you. I worship you. Yeah, you've done great things, but you're still, you're clinging to this sinful lifestyle. There's no change. Then you might be in danger of being a professor and not a possessor. Hear that. And then finally, the second group of people. If you're people that have been in church for a long time, you've been here, you've served, but maybe this is hitting you a little bit. Maybe you're someone that has a reputation for being alive, but you are spiritually dead. Here's the great thing. Here's the good news. Jesus just doesn't leave you dead. This is what he says. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up. I've found your deeds not, complete, not done, but incomplete. If you use that terminology, incomplete, then there has to be some way of completion, right? Wake up. Wake up. For someone who feels like, maybe that's me. Maybe I'm a, maybe I'm a professor, but not a possessor. Then I just encourage you to talk to somebody. Talk to somebody today. Talk to your pastor. Talk to one of our elders. Talk to a leader here. Okay, get this sorted out. It's serious stuff. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for... Thank you for the letters written to the church. Lord, I, I thank you for the, the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit that that speaks to us, that, that counsels us, that, that gives us a way out. And I thank you, Father, that the most loving thing that you've, you've done to us has given us a dose of reality. So, Lord, I just pray for anyone that's in this room, that's watching today online, wherever they fall, if they've rejected Christ, rejected Christianity, or if, they're, if they've been playing the part, if they've, if they've become addicted to their reputation and living a good reputation, I just pray, Father, that you would just guide them in the ways of Jesus. Make them more like your son. Thank you.
We praise you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.